companies measure on the highest level the business metrics, revenue and churn, contraction, expansions. If you're not a SaaS business, still you have high level business metrics. And then at the very end, you have the individual engagement with features like okay how many people activated the feature how many people are engaged and staying engaged over a period of time and you should absolutely measure those but the things that make or break this framework is that you need to have in the middle more specific understanding of what are the key jobs or workflows or use cases or capabilities however you want to call it like the terminology is secondary but it needs to be a more defined workflow and are people succeeding with getting the workflow done, not just the individual feature. Welcome to Product with Benash. I'm Axel, and in this show, I talk to product leaders and experienced operators across Europe and beyond. Together, we'll learn about their craft, how they build successful products, and unpack the frameworks and secrets they've used in delivering growth for their businesses. Today, I'm super excited to welcome Hubert Balan, who is the founder and CEO of Product Board, Previously, Hubert held a number of leadership roles across product and marketing companies in the Bay Area. And yeah, I'm just super excited to to have you on today, Hubert. How are you doing? Good. Hi, Axel. Thanks for having me. Hello, My everybody. pleasure. Before we dive into some of today's topics, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? What have you been up to? Yeah, I'm originally Czech from Prague. I moved to the Bay Area 16 years ago. <clears throat> I'm an engineer turned product manager. And I started my career, I got my master's in computer science in Prague, and then spent time in technology consulting at Accenture, and then decided that, hey, you know, I want to learn more about the business aspects of the world. And I moved to the US to get MBA at Berkeley and then got sucked in to Silicon Valley and never left. And so now I'm here, it's my home, married, two kids, Americanized, as they say, but very much still very close to Tech to Europe. Product Board has a big office in Prague and we have offices in London, Dublin as well. Uh, global company, 400 people, 6,000 companies as customers. Yeah, Product Board is a 80-year-old company now. It's been, a, it's been a wild ride. It's a product management system that help product managers like the listeners build better products, hopefully informed by customer feedback and insights. We might talk more about it, but it's yeah, a very, sure. very short intro. Thank you. I've got like a million questions to ask based on some of the journey and the ride you've been on. My first one, I guess, is what does your job look like now versus maybe what it looked like eight years ago? As a product manager or as a as a, the product head or the CEO? I guess a lot has changed, <laughs> right? I'm sure you've had to wear multiple hats along the way. Yeah, I'm a product founder. So I started a company because I was a product manager and I had pain points. I had Jira's and all the other systems that are on the engineering side. And somehow none of these systems, surprisingly so, have, have any customer data in it. There's no way to capture who is the customer, who's going to benefit, who, what is the pain point, what is the need, what is the, what's the use case. And that was mind-boggling. And so that, that's the context. Like I was in product management jobs before starting product work. And the pain led me yeah, to start a company. And so at the beginning, I was basically a product manager, right? I was a CEO. I co-founded a company with my co-founder who was the CTO, but I was really in the job of product manager. Steve Blank was my professor here at Berkeley, the grandfather of lead startup. And he got into my DNA, like get out of the building, talk to the people, validate everything, like all the early days of lead startup movement. And so it was a very much product work, discovery, interviews, learning about the pain points and making sure that we really understand very well 
the market and validate whether I am the only lunatic out there that has the pain point and thinks that there should be a company or whether it's a broader problem in the market. And so we interviewed hundreds, really over thousands of people in the early days with mockups and prototypes and all that before we settled on the first version of the product that we decided to bring to the market and start testing like live beta with customers. And then over the years, obviously, the role has changed because I hired product teams and I hired product leaders and I'm much more on the CEO scaling the company side of the house right now. But being product founder, that's the thing about product management is the most valuable is the market context and understanding of the customers. That's the most important thing. Obviously, you need to understand technology. Obviously, the more you understand design, but the customer understanding, the market understanding is critical. And I am not smarter than other people by no means, but by the simple nature of being with the company the longest, I have the longest and deepest context about the market. And so that's why I'm involved and I would write a three-year product strategy and then make sure that everybody's aligned. And so that that's what I'm doing now. It's much more higher level than in the early days. I'm not doing customer interviews. I talk to customers, but not as a product manager, more as a CEO of a to show that we are a good, strong partner for them. I'm also super keen to hear a little bit about, especially like you mentioned, you talking to customers as a CEO, but you also having this like 50,000 feet view of how the market is moving and what role product board plays in that market. What are some of the things you're seeing in terms of product maturity across different geographies? Marty Kagan recently called this the product model. So the way of doing product in a company versus all ways of working, agile, project management. What are some of the differences you're seeing in practices and levels of maturity, for example, between the US and continental Europe? Yeah, I think that the geographical location is one and maybe we can talk about it. And the other is what is the type and maturity of the company? Is it a digital first kind of modern company or is it a digitally transforming company? Any differences there? The first one on the geographical, it still seems like the business aspect of the product role is stronger here in the US and that Europe is catching up and it's reflected even in titles like product owners versus product managers, or it's still project management to your point versus product management. I still talk to a lot of people who have like actual titles, project managers, product owners, as opposed to the more strategic business focused, customer focused product managers that it's pretty much the status quo with the, especially again, the modern US Tech companies. native companies. Yeah, the digital first. And then my perspective on all this, like all the development of the product mission function is that historically we came, and I'm talking like 30 years ago, it was a very engineering driven world, right? Because you needed to understand the technology in order to, to be able to build products because yeah, 30 years ago you had to be an engineer and that has changed. The understanding of technology is much more sophisticated now and the business mindset and understanding of the customers is what really is the dominant focus for the product roles because to some extent the technical aspect has been commoditized. Like you can build any kind of B2B workflow system if you're in the enterprise or there's a very solid understanding in the consumer space how you build app, apps on the app store. But are you building the right thing for the right audience? How are you differentiated? It's almost like more product marketing than, than development of the product. And I feel like 
that is a difference in Europe and maybe partially because of the education. I'm not aware of many programs that would focus on the business aspect of product management, maybe a little bit on the marketing side. Then you should also say that Europe is not uniform. Western Europe is ahead versus Central Europe. In Central or Eastern Europe, you have super strong technical engineering talent, like incredible algorithms, right? Like super core, good object-oriented programming thing. But the business side, it's very difficult to find, find people. Yeah. So then you go and we have product managers in London and Ireland and Amsterdam, and there might be somebody in France. Can't remember right now. Anyway, sorry, long answer. No, no, that makes a lot of sense. I think one of the, one of the reasons why I'm interested in this is I'm always trying to figure out, like you mentioned, we're catching up to the UK, but also to the US, was a bigger gap between the US and continental Europe. But I'm always trying to figure out whether this gap is closing or is staying like the same. I think it's closing. I guess it's closing I, as well. It's closing because the information is flowing and we're yeah. learning. We're learning from the best people and the borders are irrelevant. Correct. I would say that on the individual level, probably people that are listening here are the people that are on the front line and they're driving the revolution. They want to be the change agents. The struggle is that it's not just the people on the product teams that we know how to do it best. Like you have to... the. That's the thing about product is that it's such a central function and you need to bring the entire company yeah. along. It's not just the product team. It's like you have to be a good partner to the customer facing colleagues and you have to be a, like out there talking with customers and making sure that the organization is okay with it, right? And just, oh my God, you can't talk to the customers, only customer success or sales can or, you know, that it's more the broader cultural challenge than I would guess for the audience listening here. Couldn't agree more. One of the questions I also had for you is now eight years in, having started Product Board, how have you seen the product management function evolve? And why do you think it's still critically important for organizations to invest in product management? Yeah, I'd say it's not just still critically important. It is increasingly more important. And it's definitely evolved. Even the last eight years, there's many more chief product officers than ever before. Like that rise of establishing product function as the central like arm that makes the decisions around what should be built, not necessarily owning the execution, but just like making the decision which product for what audience at what point in time to introduce. That's on the rise. And I think it's going to continue because again, historically you had that decision-making either in the engineering department or the more traditional companies would have it under marketing, like marketing the brand people and historically in the like Procter's and Gambles of the world, but then Intuit was an amazing company that was driven, it was like product marketing thinking and they pioneered the modern product management and we're just like seeing that. But like I said before, the big reason why it's important, why it's on the rise is because the business understanding of the pain points is more important because the technology is becoming commoditized. Again, like, of course, there's innovation. Like AI, we're in the AI hype. And like, the more you understand what you can do with it, it's like the better. But it's not AI. It's the enabler, it's, right? It's yeah, it's the, the enabler. enabler. Exactly. It's the enabler. And so if you don't build the right product and you have cool AI in it, like who cares? If you don't have the right modes and you just build a super thin application layer, well, guess what? Within a few months, did you see the announcement yesterday? Google's going to embed AI into uh, all their collaborative documents. It's so difficult to pull people into new systems if they have very easy, kind of free, almost from their perspective, you know, suddenly new functionality. And this is product management and the product marketing's job to figure out 
okay, how are we differentiated? Is there a segment that has a unique set of needs where we can be differentiated to satisfy them and carve out a niche for us? And so that thinking is why it's becoming more important for the product management function to be strong. Because again, like everybody can build something in a few months. Of course, there's, I'm not, if we have hardware people listening, that's different, right? I talked to the CEO of Aurora, the, the self-driving trucks. It's like very different experience, right? Or other biotech, obviously different industries, like it's different. But in the like digital software products only. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get a second chance. It used to be that okay, let's launch a version and test it. And you still need to do that, but you need to do it at such a faster, accelerated timeline. Because like you launch something and then you turn around and people copy what you just launched that you're learning from. So, okay, you, you better hurry up. Do you feel stuck not knowing how to tackle a problem? Are you looking for a solution to help your team members grow in their craft? Either way, check out panache.io. Panache works with product leaders to bring expert insights and proven frameworks you can use to truly deliver impact in your role. Companies like Atlassian, Content Square, and Miracle all choose Panache to provide the right level of training and coaching for their product teams so they can perform at their best. Whether you're a product leader or an individual contributor, head to panache.io, book a seat to one of our many programs, and raise your product game today. Check out panache.io. That's P-A-N-A-S-H dot I-O. And execution here in, in Europe, the word execution has a really bad rep because I think people read this as opposing execution to something else. It's very strange because execution of, to me, like ability to execute is like this thing that will make or break your company, right? Oh, yeah. Here, when people talk about execution, it's like almost the Jira tickets that you have to take out of the backlog, right? When you say execution, this is what they hear, the delivery side of things. So it has a very bad reputation. And I think one of the things I'm taking from what you're saying is product management is also here to pr very pragmatically help us execute and deliver business outcomes using this thing we're going to build, which is the product, right? Like at the end of the day, it has to produce some kind of financial impact. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the thing, like, you have to have the, that, you look, that's the difference between product managers and designers. Like designers, I love designers. This is like an amazing discipline, right? Like I fell in love with UX and spent all my time learning so much about it. But kind of the luxury, I, ironically, that you have in design is that you can build the best, well-designed product for one single person and nobody else, it's not going to be the perfect fit, right? It's like the perfect fit for the one person. And that's awesome, right? Or you can win Red Dot Design Award for like a product that is like for a very small audience, but just like incredibly well-designed for that audience. As a product manager, you have the additional layer of, is this a business viable thing? Can I scale it? Can I achieve the business objectives? Which goes to is the audience big enough and is the pain point big enough so that I can sustain the business? And that's what you need to put on top of it. And sometimes you need to compromise on the design as a result, or you need to spread it over time because it's a, it's a, you, you just balance. reminded me of a visit I had of the Red Dot Museum in Singapore a few years back with my wife. And I remember seeing some products in there that I had no clue existed. I think what you're saying there makes a lot of sense, right? Some of these products are getting awards, but they're commercially, they have not made big strides. Like they have not reached shelves. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. 
I, yeah, uh, that, that I've never been. I need to put it on my list. I'm definitely going to go there. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> the second part of this same question is you're seeing some of these companies taking this seriously. Marty Kagan talks about this in this way. He says, he talks about the best versus the rest. And he talks about how mm. there are companies that are serious about product and companies that are not serious about product. And mm. one of the things I'm interested in is how does that materialize when these companies that are taking this seriously and investing in their product, what does that look like very pragmatically? So before I get to that, I would say that it really also depends on what is the best alternative for what you're trying to solve. If the competition is very basic and it doesn't fulfill even the basic utilitarian needs or the utilitarian jobs that the product gets done, it's probably not really uh, strategically important to differentiate by like beautiful usability and the emotional look and feel of the product because you first need to get done the usability. Yeah, this takes me back to jobs to be done as a framework. There's a lot of focus on this, yeah. Yeah, and it's, yeah, if you're trying to design a control system for a nuclear power plant, like you focus on the utilitarian needs. It has to work. (laughs) It has to work, right? And like you worry about the delight later. But if you're designing a consumer product, if you're building a competitor to Twitter, how are you going to differentiate, right? Like you have some obviously network effects in the audience, but every little pixel of the experience matters. And so I would just say that what does it mean to care about the product or how much you invest into the product? Like really depends on the alternatives that are available to get the job done. So just putting it out there. And then to your point about like how the best product teams operate. And you really need to align and build the whole company from like the spearhead of the product management, being a product person running a product management platform company where it's self-centric view, but product management, it's like the brain of the company that all the inputs need to come to the product team from sales, from customer success, from marketing, from competitive research, from support conversations. And then the brain needs to process it and then send signals like, okay, this is what we're going to do with it, right? This is the direction we're going to go. I need to make sure that it, the experience or the conversation, the information flows in a very collaborative fashion so that product is not just a black box and you're waiting, everybody else is waiting. Oh, this is the roadmap and there's no reason why. And there's no conversation about why. When you're talking to customers, like most companies still, oh, this is our roadmap, but it's not used as a conversation starter. It's used as like, you're screaming at people, this is what we're building. And then, yeah, maybe let us know feedback and then here's your feature request for them somewhere. But it should be a very... It's like an invitation to validate whether the things are right. And anyway, so it's, it's like an execution detail, but the culture or the approach with which you approach the communication, the internal collaboration, the way you communicate with the customers, the best companies operate with this centralized like product needs to be informed by customers. Everybody is aligned, not just listening, but product team actively aligning and explaining and visualizing to people. It's like, even internally, I talk about the next three-year vision and the strategy, and it's so difficult if you don't put something visual in front of people and the sales, marketing, support people who are not in the product and who don't think on that abstract level like product managers. When you say a feature, very few people, even the people at the company that talk to the customers, actually imagine in their head how it's going to work for the customers at the end of the day. Anyway, so my point is, you have to be a partner in this, right? The product team is like, listen, but then share and explain and continuously align the entire company so that everybody's united. I spoke to a, a CPO of a large uh, mobility scale-up recently, and 
she told me her role as a chief product officer is actually building the company. And I really like the way she framed this because I think I see a lot of people creating like these divisions in companies, right? Like this, there's the company, there's these guys, they do this thing. And then these other guys, they do this other thing. But at the end of the day, like you're saying, all the efforts must be focused on executing this plan, which is going to bring some financial impact to the company. And the way she talks about how her role as a CPO is actually to make the company successful. It's a, it's a company-wide thing. Sometimes it feels like product is this camp within the company. Do you know what I mean? Like special people, there's a lot of hype around there. Does, it, does this resonate? Yeah, of course. Like ultimately, you want to get to the level of maturity where you don't have this perception. I mean, hopefully you have the perception that it's great people on the team and that <laughs> like you can really, you can trust them. Yeah. That they are good listeners and that they're guiding the organization to build the right products and bring them to the market. But it needs to be a partnership. If you ask the chief product officer, there should be an aspect of, like measure the performance, right? There should be an aspect of like ENPS, uh, or sorry, ENPS. NPS. See, this is the CEO thing, thinking about yeah. employee satisfaction. <laughs> NPS, <laughs> yeah, exactly. NPS for the customers, which is engagement metrics, like how good of a product it is. What is the shape of the business? Do you have high conversion rates? Do you have low churn? All the things that tell you whether you have not just product market fit, but like how you mm. get the jobs done. It's, but by the way, very interesting conversation there. We could have. But the second piece is how well do you collaborate with others? What grade would the sales team give you in terms of are we strong partners? Do you feel like I'm being hurt? Do I understand what's coming up? Do I understand why we're making these decisions? You know, because they are constantly bombarded by things that you're never going to build or things that you will not build today, but maybe you will build them next quarter or next year. And without the conversation and the explanation, they just lose trust. It's like, whatever, they don't listen. They keep building some other things. I keep hearing different things. As you said, building the company. It is company building because the partnerships are so important. I think one of the things I just mentioned resonates a lot as well. And it's almost like the crystallization of everything we've been seeing so far, especially as regards to how are some geographies doing product better than some of the others. It's this focus on like driving business outcomes. I think there are so many product organizations we work with where I can see that they don't even have a goal setting framework. They don't know what goal setting actually is, looks like when it's done well. A lot of companies are struggling with OKRs, like they're just applying it because you've got to do it because everybody else is doing it. And I think the companies that I see that are doing a great job at product are these companies that can actually very concretely and in a very actionable way show a direct link between the work and the increments they are shipping and pushing out there, the value they're shipping to the customers and the actual impact that this has on the business based on like very robust and specific measurable things. Yeah. I'd, it'd be great to have your point of view on this. It's really hard because often you work kind of feature functionality, especially if you're building a more complex product, is like so granular that it's, difficult and not impossible, but difficult to trace the impact of 
this feature that we launch, and especially if you're in continuous delivery, continuous deployment shop, and you're like launching features left and right, like which feature drove what impact on the business level. And so what I'm trying to say is that companies measure on the highest level, the business metrics, revenue and churn, you know, contraction, expansions. And if you're not a SaaS business, like still you have like high level business metrics. And then at the very end, you have the individual engagement with features like okay how many people activated the feature how many people are engaged and staying engaged over a period of time and you should absolutely measure those but it seems like the the things that make or break this framework is that you need to have in the middle more specific understanding of what are the and back to the jobs to be done what are the key jobs or workflows or use cases or capabilities however you want to call it like the terminology is secondary but it needs to be a more defined workflow. And are people succeeding with getting the workflow done? Not just the individual feature. I'll give you an example. In product board, you could say that one workflow is like, are people prioritizing their roadmap based on the voice of the customers? Input insights come in from it. And so there's many little features that are part of that work. Hey, they need to filter things and hey, they need to calculate the score and hey, the score, how do they, how do they design the score and can have custom formulas and can they segment based on the different customer segments? So there's like a lot of features, but ultimately you should have in your analytics framework, you should have the flow of, is it impacting? If I launch a feature, not just engagement with a little feature, but how, what was the impact on the flow of prioritizing features based on the customers? Are there more features supported by the customer insights? Are people using it as a criteria in the prioritization uh, flow and so on? And, and this is hard. And look, we struggle with it internally as well. Just because the way you can design the workflows, like how do you articulate what a workflow is and what yeah. the job is? Like you can slice it a million ways, right? Like in our case, you can say, listen to for insights, prioritize, put roadmaps out there and then engage with the community. You can have these kind of jobs or you can say across a job where you say how engineering product design collaborate together versus how they collaborate across the company versus how they go deeper with the customers and almost co-create products. Yeah, because slice and dice it in so many different ways. But it's it's like how you do that is like completely changes your focus and priorities. Because in one, you focus on, in our case, building a deeper insights repository. In the other one, you focus much more on the collaborative aspects of product and design engineering working together. And you would prioritize completely different features. So we, And we haven't even solved the attribution problem, right? That, that once we've shipped something, how do we attribute? This thing to is was it this feature that we released yesterday or was it this one? That, yeah, that's also a, yeah a big. Pain. I mean that yeah that is of course challenging whenever you make multiple changes and you're done just like a linear pipeline and you have like multiple <laughs> tribes and everybody's launching things. So it's, yeah, in marketing to give people some peace of mind, like in marketing, this has been a problem forever and never really solved. I haven't seen a team that has like a figure out multi-touch attribution for your marketing funnel. <laughs> <laughs> and you can clearly explain which marketing dollars. It will me. all be solved by AI, okay? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we'll see. Next topic I want to talk to you about is obviously a lot of the stuff that has been happening for the past year, but is also still happening now. Currently, we're in the middle of an economic downturn, right? We've seen a lot of layoffs across tech companies in the US, but also in Europe. The recent and rapid demise of Silicon Valley Bank, I think, is leaving a lot of people anxious about the future in tech and in tech investment. I read on Crunchbase that you guys raised just over $260 million over the course of multiple years from people like Sequoia, Tiger. So I'm curious to hear a little bit about 
what are these investors telling you on what are some of the parameters you're, you should take into account now in, in how you run the company? That's number one. And number two, how do you think companies and product organizations can set themselves up to win in this current economic context? Yeah. So let's, let's dissect it. Big question. First, I would say that the downturn, it's not uniform. Obviously, the rising interest rates and just general macro is impacting the world, but it's impacting the world differently in different areas. The core digital first companies, especially productivity, B2B SaaS, especially seed-based B2B SaaS that's catering primarily to digital first companies that have all these layoffs. I mean, just yesterday, right? Facebook and other 10,000 people. That's massive. And so everybody's hit, right? Everybody's seeing contractions in seats and everybody's feeling it because it's directly connected to it. Or if you're selling HR system and you charge per number of employees, right? It's like, of course, you're going to get a contraction if somebody cuts the headcount by 20, 30, in some cases, even more percent, right? In some other areas, it's less impactful. And again, I talked to a founder of a biotech company and she's working on figuring out ALS treatment. Funding is drying up even there because you need to generate bigger returns. But in terms of the demand of the market, there's no slowdown, right? It's just a macro economy and it's just like a short term. So that's one thing. Second thing I would say that what we are, you ask what are investors telling us and we have Sequoia, Kleiner, Index, Besson, we have like really amazing investors. There's a lot of thinking, looking at, okay, how long of a period this is going to be and how it looked like if you look at like 2008 grade recession, 2008, 2009, if you look at how companies like Microsoft or Adobe or Intuit or Atlassian did, it was actually a relatively, it was a deep decline. And then it came back up as like a V or U-shape recovery in terms of their revenue and in terms of their growth rates. That's what I'm talking about. So that's something that we think a lot and that I hear the investors think about a lot because that informs how much you should be adjusting your burn and how long to expect. Now, obviously the challenge is that nobody knows how long this period is going to be, right? Because yeah. it's no recession is like, this is a different recession than it was the previous one. So I wouldn't, Oh, it lasted nine, 12 months before, and now it's going to do. Don't make it. Pass is not a good indication. Of yeah, yeah, no. But also what is sometimes I heard this perspective is, oh, once your growth slows down, it's very difficult to get the growth back up. And that's true in a rising market, but it's not true if you have a recession and the demand recovers and like, yeah, people are starting bu start buying again. So a lot of conversations about that. How long is it going to last? What can you expect? When are the budgets going to open up? And then it's different impact is... Definitely SMB businesses are impacted more than the enterprise businesses. Like we're actually seeing very strong traction in the, in the enterprise and especially the digital transforming companies that are playing catch up and that need to build great digital products despite the macro environment. They're, they don't have a choice. Like they have to get going. Otherwise they're going to be disrupted by the better digital first startups. So a lot of investments there. So that translates for the product people is, okay, where is my segment to so your last question is like, where is my segment? Where do I have core audience? And am I doing an incredible good job to satisfy the needs of my core target segment? And this is the time to hunker down and make sure that your existing customers are not leaving you. Make sure that your core flows, the core experience, see, goes back to like understanding what are the core flows, it's, use cases, it's all connected. jobs to be done. It's all connected. And that you double down on that and you eliminate the 
bets that you're making or the experiments that you're running outside, trying to add new use cases and trying to add new segments and so on. If, and this is the big question that I like to talk to people about is, how do you know that your like the core flows are good enough? And because that's a question, not just during a time of a crisis, it's a question, constant questions in product management. Like, hey, should I go deeper and make this feature even better and even more performant and even more delightful? Or is this the time to go and expand? On the highest level, like when did Salesforce decide to expand from sales to marketing and to services? And when did Atlassian decide to expand from Jira for IT to Jira for, for engineering and then from for Jira to services? Like these are the highest level strategy questions. But on the, on the lowest level, you need to look at what we talked about previously. Like what's the engagement? What's the conversions? Like what is the funnel? And it goes back to the business, right? Are people coming, converting at the high enough rates? Are they sticking with you and not churning out? And if not, if you don't have a segment that has like a really healthy unit economics, really healthy metrics, like you better fix your product at least for the core for segment, yeah. right? Before you go and you start building new stuff. And that's the chance. Okay. And then what is the percentage of resources that you should put there versus the expansion? Yeah. And the later stage company you are, obviously, the more you have a portfolio strategy and you're investing into core a percentage of revenue resources, and then you're investing into the next kind of frontier and expand to new segments and so on. But anyway, it's complicated. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Thanks for sharing your perspective on this. Really appreciate it. Before we wrap up, we're going to talk about the next segment of the show, which is my favorite segment, which is called the treasure chest. My first question to you is, what advice would you give your early career self? So think about back in the day when you were starting on the product track, if you had to speak to Hubert from that time, what would you tell him? I would, I would say... We talked about it already, but the customers, go talk to the customers. Understanding of the customers is more important than tinkering with technology and more important than tinkering with design. Get out there, make sure that, and you know, I know that this is a bit abstract, but can you clearly identify the dimensions along which people are different? Because the very simple thing is, okay, small company, big company, junior person, senior person. That's so basic. There's much more. It's like, B2B descriptors, B2B versus B2C, digital first, digital transformation. I'm just like using some example of things that we talked about, right? Yeah. Are you geographically distributed or not? Do you have a complex product portfolio or not? Like wait, what's the maturity of the product? These are like some descriptors. And then behavior. If, again, are your customers, are they all thinking about the same thing? Do they have the same pain points and problems and use cases? Probably not. Yeah, we talk about emotional jobs, social jobs, functional exactly. jobs. Yeah. Exactly. What's their motivation? And so that's what you need to understand. I know you have probably more questions. The secret yeah, treasure chest of secret questions. You exactly. Never well, my, we're coming up to my favorite question of this show, actually. Imagine you're stranded on a deserted island, okay? And you can have the following things. One, a book. Which book would you take? And two, an endless supply of one specific dish for all meals going forward. What would that dish be? <laughs> so and now, start, start with a book. I'm sure that people give you like super deep philosophical answers. I'll give you, I'll give you one. I, and it's not a book that I go to frequently, but I read this book called Mastery. And this has nothing to be on the desert, deserted island. But basically it was stories of people that had the biggest impact on the humanity. And it's like Leonardo and really <laughs> big thinkers. And the reason why I'm saying it is because I love the humanity's ability to transfer knowledge from one to the other and build on top of that. 
And so like, I love, right? yeah, compounds. And I love learning and I hate reinventing things. And I always, the way I operate is we have a problem. As a company, we have a problem. Who is the best person in the world that solved or have been in a situation? And can I go first to that person and get through my investors, through my network, talk to that person and then figure out, learn from that and then adjust. So that's just like conceptually how I live my life. Love it. And the, that's why this book. The second thing, I don't know, like I'm super analytical. I would just, I don't know, what's the most This is the most difficult question for well, anybody Soyland, that comes on Soyland, this show. Is Soyland the thing that is like the balanced thing that I can just live on? I don't know. You are taking this way too seriously. Uh, totally, yeah, because you're talking to an <laughs> analytical engineer. I don't know. I love protein. I personally love steak, but I it's can't like, live on it. It's fine. Yeah. Whatever works for you, man. Okay, thank you so much, Hubert, for spending this time with me on the show. I really appreciated our chat. You guys are doing a road trip soon. I saw a few dates online, product board road trip. So I will add these to the show notes. Thank I you. will also add the link to some of the great stuff you guys have been doing, some of the content you've been sharing. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And yeah, good luck with everything you're doing. Thank you. Thank you everybody for listening. Come to the road show. Like we, like you, what you're doing here, Axel, bring people together, learn from each other. We love it. We're doing it as a company because you know, we have so many product people in our orbit. And like I just said, philosophically, let's learn from each other and build amazing. Yeah, great it's a community things, building right? thing, right? It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. If you're hearing this, you've listened to this episode all the way. And for that, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite platform. Also, if you have a minute, please consider giving us a rating as it helps other listeners find the show. You can find all the episodes and resources on panache.io slash podcast. That's P-A-N-A-S-H dot I-O slash podcast. Until next time.